Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. The travel industry has historically been dominated by white men, but over the past few years, travel companies created by and for Black Americans have thrived. Last year brought a flurry of media coverage of the burgeoning Black travel movement thanks to groups including Nomadness Travel Tribe, Travel Noir, and an active social media community. But the challenges for Black travelers haven't disappeared, and the group is still underrepresented in leadership and media. On this episode of the Skift Podcast, we're talking about the contemporary Black travel movement in the U.S., how it's evolved, and what the future looks like for the community. Our guests are Evita Robinson, founder of Nomadness Travel Tribe, a travel-centric community of more than 13,000 people, and Shannon Washington, co-founder and director of Parlor Magazine, which focuses on travel and style for Black women. They join me, Skift Associate Editor and Podcast Host Hannah Sampson, and co-host Sarah Enelo. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'd like to start with some context. What are some of the biggest challenges for Black Americans who want to travel abroad? And are there similar or different kinds of challenges for travel within the United States? Um, We can start with you. Yeah, I think that some of the biggest challenges, I don't know, the challenges are kind of universal to me, right? So I feel like fear is at the guts of all of this. Fear of money, fear fear of, you know, being a traveler of color. How am I going to be perceived in a specific country? Like, is it going to freak me out? Am I going to have a racist, you know, type of interaction? That that those are the things that we have to think about, you know, that other travelers, our counterparts may not have to, you know, going to different parts of the world. And we nonetheless want to do the same activities and visit the same places. But, you know, there is just a level of fear, safety, you know, lack of connectivity that we may want to have, especially because I know at least in Nomadness, my travelers are, it's all about the authentic experience. You know, I take them to Pamplona running with the bulls. I take them to Jaipur, India for Holi. We're the only black people in sight, (laughs) (laughs) which lets me know that I'm doing my job, you know? So I don't necessarily see it as the negative, but as the, okay, we needed this. And this is why this was started to begin with. And, um, and not saying that I want it to necessarily become a fad or a trend, but we need to start to show, you know, via social media and who we are in our platforms that this can be eradicated. But I really think the root cause underneath it is a lot of fear. No, I completely agree with with Evita. And, you know, on top of that, there is, you know, we, we still battle a bit of more of a traditional um, cultural attitudes towards travel or towards leisure as a culture, as, you know, just speaking blankly, Black people or African-Americans. Um in the idea of someone who wants to take off, you know, two weeks and travel the world is still very foreign. And it's not really built into the way that a lot of us are raised. We are raised right. to work hard, be better, do better. And a lot of that comes with work. Um, you know, there's all types of studies and, you know, wonderful publications out there around just how black women, especially the women that we speak to, um, who are a little bit of an older millennial, mature millennial, that's what we call them, Gen Y, um, the idea of rest, the idea of escape is it's not, you know, baked into something that not that you're allowed to do that, but you can do and you can do often. You can do on the weekends. You can do for two hours and a night. We consistently have this problem of resting 
you know? And so when you think you want to rest for two weeks in Valley and spend, you know, a quarter of whatever you saved up, you're going to get a lot of resistance depending on, you know, how traditional your family is. And so it's not guilt, but um, it's more so fighting against how we were raised. And a lot of that just has to come with the history of this country. Yeah, there's and there's levels to that. Like I can totally speak to it. There's these things that I call were like unknown side effects of creating nomadness, right? So like we're over 13,000, approaching 14,000 members actually worldwide right now. And I am not a person that stands behind the logo of my company. I am very much an active member. I am Mm -hmm. in there. I show up. I surprise them at meetups around the world. They know that I'm an open book and they can reach out to me. Now, because of that, it's allowed not just them to forge relationships with one another, but for me to forge relationships with them. And sometimes they'll bring like their parents to our meetups. (laughs) And I've had parents come up to me and be like, listen, thank you because I'm not a world traveler. And, you know, I live vicariously through my child, but I'm nervous. And if Mm -hmm. something was to happen on the road, I would not know the first thing to do. You've created a platform in which I know that my child, even if they're traveling alone per se, they, they have a community of people that will help them. And, you know, I've had people come to me and literally cry at meetups and tell me, thank you for creating this travel family because my own family doesn't understand doesn't what understand. I'm doing. Like they they want me to just get a regular job. It's definitely been a learning experience. And the yeah. funny thing is, like I'm a member, I consider myself, well, yeah. I am a member yeah. of No Madness. A lot of our readers are also yeah. members of No Madness. You yeah. know, Parlor wasn't necessarily created initially on travel. We were general interest. And then we dovetailed into travel about four and a half years ago. And a lot of that had to do with the content that we were writing around almost the permission to travel. Yep. The per- You know, um, I remember in... No Madness is a wonderful community of instant reaction, which yeah. I love. Yes. Instant like, well, actually, or I love this or I don't love this. And I'm a big believer in testing and learning. So to know that you have a community that you can go to for that is wonderful. So for instance, when we published, and I and I won't front, I wrote it, um, <laughs> and our, we published a piece about One Night Stands Abroad. Mm-hmm. And it was based from, you know, interactions that I had with plenty of women. And at the time I was single, I am married now. <laughs> but, you know, it's so interesting. And to see like that instant community of people literally kind of like going at it. But it was a lot of it was just based in how we are as a culture. The permission right. to actually go somewhere and actually go there. You know, that's not something that black women do. Right. That's not something that black people do. And people were like, wait, wait a second. Yes, we can. It's on my trip. No, I, no, <laughs> no I mean, like if I can do it in New Jersey, I can do it in New Delhi. Right, you right. know, it, it's one of those things where every piece of content that we publish, I feel, is another step of kind of just freeing the consciousness of what you are capable of, especially as a woman of color. Yeah, because your you passport, know. your confessions, yeah. that I actually was on <laughs> Which one. She My Amsterdam in. one was out of control, <laughs> but it was a true story, you know? And so, yeah, there's definitely permission in the seeing and in the hearing, whether it's, you know, your web series or, right. you know, an Instagram, you know, following or, you know, our web series that I co-executive produce along with Issa Rae. Like, you know, Literally, there's levels to how you can show and break the psychology mm-hmm. of it um, down by, you know, just really pushing us out there yeah. and showing our Being. story, letting us tell our story authentically. Right. So there's a bit of a generational shift and some gender roles at play here Absolutely. as well. Um, because I believe uh, Nomadist Tribe is majority women. Yeah. Um, we see a lot of... Um, a lot of black travel organizations and companies being run by women. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Um, do you think that has a lot to do with the the family aspect and the permission aspect? I don't know. I think I think it's very layered, yeah. extremely layered. I mean, you can take it down to you know statistics of education. Um, you know, the rate of black women actually going, especially into higher education. When you go into that realm, your world actually opens up because you are with people from around the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so that you could argue it one way. I think rather I consider women to be better doers, just to be <laughs> honest. Like I just do. Like, you know, there's it's no it's, it's no coincidence that, you know, most of the leading travel um publications and portals that are that are targeted towards African Americans are run by women or are vocalized more so by women. You know, I speak specifically to women, so I can't speak, you know, to a more balanced community, but if there's something that I will say, if there's we are loyal and we will share it. And our word of mouth is everything. It's like absolutely it's everything. And so if there is a place where you could come and authentically be yourself, you know, we still write, we still publish from a very intersectional feminist heteronorm. We try not to be heteronormative at all. And it's so interesting how women notice the details. And so if we publish, you know, we regram, you know, a travel fly post with two women that we know are lovers that have already hashtagged that they're lovers. And we're like, oh, wow, this is like couple goals on vacation. It's so interesting where thinking about that generational shift, perhaps if this was in 2003, mm. it would have been an issue. 2013, mm -hmm. nobody bats an eye. 2016, definitely. It was like, everyone was like, oh my God, where'd you guys go? Where is that? I want to go. Like, right. A lot of it just has to do with how we're just moving. And I think that women have always been the innovators of change. Um, fight me on it. <laughs> but we really, really have just because, you know, we've always we've had to take those steps for our people anyway. And so it's reflected in the communities that we serve. Yeah, I think as far as the gender roles, because we actually talk about this all the time. And um, one of the gender roles, too, is I think women, we want to do like major stuff before we have children. Mm -hmm. And and I think that there's just it's a lifestyle change. It's the millennial, you know, mindset. You know, I'm 32, would love to have children right now, but I'm not just going to, uh, you know, go ahead and do that with anyone. But <laughs> yeah. but it's like you want to travel and see the world. You know, if I mm -hmm. didn't travel through the majority of my 20s, like no madness wouldn't be here. And I could very consciously say, you know, without even ego involved, like if this wasn't started, there are thousands of people around the world that would not know each other even existed. You know, let alone the fact that I have members that are, you know, getting married, having babies, you know, starting businesses together, best friends, you know, there's so many layers and levels to it. And I think for, for me, it's also not a coincidence. I think nomadness just naturally attracts who it attracts because it's run by a millennial black woman. Like people ask me, what's your demo? And I'm like, you're looking at it. Like I <laughs> am the quintessential, you know, generic member, you know, of nomadness travel tribe. And that's allowed me, you know, as the, you know, somebody called me the grandmother of the black the travel grandmother. Said, like the, Are you not, kidding not me? Not age-wise. It was, I took it as a compliment. <laughs> I did not take it personal. But just kind of like, you know, the creator, the starter, you know, of really, you know, what's happening right now. And I think because it's run, you know, by a black woman in the millennials, mm -hmm. like that's what it's going to attract. And there's something empowering to that. We love our men. You know, we, we appreciate cool. them. We want them to come in. They're super cool. But there's just, they go about life a different way. There are certain priorities that I think are different. You know, the men are seen and they have this pressure of being the provider and all mm -hmm. these things. So certain, certain ducks need to be in a row for them, you know, where for us, we want to 
be our full, you know, well-rounded selves. And that includes travel and a lot of our narratives now, you know, before we want to, you know, that quote unquote settle down and, you know, have children and things like that. So I think that also plays into the generational and gender combo. Just to piggyback off that, it's interesting because I recently got married, but I'm a little, little older <laughs> but it's interesting being in that shift because I'm mm -hmm. in that shift right now. And, you know, I'm marking off double digits in country categories this year. I'm still married. You know, mm -hmm. like it doesn't really yep. change anything. And the interesting thing, especially with Parlor, because of the community, the specific community that we serve, it's so interesting to see. We just did a, um, our first inaugural trip um, and we did it uh, in the USVI. It's so interesting to talk with other women who were newly married, coupled, you know, thinking about marriage and discussing travel in a way that wasn't like a pit stop. Right. You know what I mean? And you're starting to see that shift and it's more like, well, if my husband comes, he comes. If he doesn't, I'll get my girlfriends or I'll just go alone or right. I'll just go with the group. Like it's not those gender roles are changing and travel is a bit of a it, it is impacted by it in a lot of ways with us specifically. It goes back to the the concept of permission. Yeah. To be honest, especially you know, I, I can tell you all about baby pressure. As soon as you get married, Ooh. people are like, "So," and I'm like, "Put money on it." <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you need to do is put money on it. And then two, I think about the number one thing I thought about when I first started thinking about having kids was travel. Yeah. Traveling with my child versus, you know, me, Shannon, who was in the fifties or the eighties, even perhaps our conversation would have been different. It would have been like, oh, okay, it's over. Right. You know, when you look at, you know, the pages and the posts or whatnot of Parlor, we have women of all ages and it ain't over. So you have your your publication and your tribe, um, but the broader marketing landscape and advertising, I here's some numbers that may take us all down, but um, some statistics from Nielsen that say 2.6% of all advertising, not just travel, but all advertising focused on African-Americans, and then there's other research that says 17% of African-Americans take one or more international trips a year. That's from Mandala Research. Um, have you seen mainstream travel companies get better at marketing and including people of color in their marketing? Do you have any thoughts about the what best way for them to do that? And without, without pandering, you know, with rep being representative and diverse, but not going overboard. Here, I talk about advertising all the time. <laughs> I work, you know is working in that field. Here's an interesting thing. Um, representation more than anything is absolutely key. But after representation, it's placement. It's media. It's where you actually put that representation. You know, uh, about, I want to say two months ago, I was flipping through, I was in the airport and, you know, celebrated living, which is American Airlines, um, first class, business class, um, publication in addition to American way. Beautiful image of a black woman. We posted it because it was just so beautiful. Black woman on the cover. She was a model, wonderful wide brim hat. I mean, it was, if, if it was travel fly, like there's nothing, like if it wasn't, it was, it was perfect. Now what's the demographic of American airline customers who are of color that are flying in upper-class cabins? Right. You know what I mean? That wasn't, you know, that was more of a shoot more than anything, but I was flipping through on my iPad, travel and leisure on the way here. And, you know, there was one person of color in the entire magazine in the ad, ad wise, and it was for a wine company. You know what I mean? So 
it's interesting that when even when you do see representation of us, I can name just a few companies that have actually featured African-Americans in their advertising, but then you're placing them still in a space that we don't even really index in. Mm-hmm. And so that's why companies like myself, companies like No Madness, companies like um, Travel Noir, companies like I'm going to name more, but I can't think of them right now, <laughs> um, are very important because, you know, in addition to publishing original content, we also do a lot of marketing consulting. We also do a lot of branded content. And it's so interesting when we do get, we, you know, we have those recap calls, we send those decks out. And the feedback is always like a grand surprise of discovery. Meanwhile, we're sitting there like, we told you this was going to happen. (laughs) Once you start talking to us, we talk back. Traditionally, we are, like I said before, we are extremely loyal. We are one of the most loyal segments of consumers that there is. We also spend some of the most money. You know, you can akin the travel industry to the beauty industry in a lot of ways. And once the beauty industry actually woke up and started to you know, talk to especially African-American women, what did they see happen? You had multiple shoots of um, of purchase, but you also had companies like L'Oreal taking a vested interest in African-American beauty companies and yep. investing in them. I think the same thing will happen ultimately in the travel industry, which is very niche, and it suffers from a lot of a um, identity crisis in a lot of ways, because travel in the United States is either you're like going somewhere with Bear Willis or you're like lifestyle of the rich and famous. They never really show like a middle ground of like, (laughs) hey girl, you're just in Cancun. Or if you're in Cancun, you're 17 and you're drunk. And you're like, well, I'm actually, you know, at a really nice JW Marriott right now and I'm having my life. Like you never see that. Think about it. You never see that, you know, Working at, especially when you work in the field of representation, you study it almost subconsciously. Right. And the interesting thing is, you know, one of the reasons why we excel and we do so well, especially with our avatars, is what we do is that we can just show things in a voice that they can't. And I don't know if it's just they don't have people working for them. You know, we can all, and this is a whole nother podcast, and I'm sorry, babe. No. Um, talk about the relationships between advertisers and publishers and editors. And we all know, you know, how that circle kind of goes around. But when there's no person of color in the room to say, okay, um, we will publish this story and we will send a person of color there and we will include their experience as a person of color there. You know, with the opening of Havana or with Cuba, rather, I'm seeing a lot of the same actual article being written about Havana. However, you know, um, through family and business, I've been going there for almost 15 years now. Me walking in a hotel in Havana is very different than my aunt, who was white. Right. Like, it is extremely different. Like, I have to I have to talk very loud and very American in some hotels because they won't actually let me in. Now, it's a little different now, but, you know, three, four years ago, if you want to buy batteries or something like that, you're like, oh, wait, I'm American. And they're like, oh, okay. Now, is that something that you want to see in your publication. I think it's very interesting to a nomadness community. It's very interesting to a parlor yeah. community. And it can be written in a way that isn't bashing the country or anything like that. That's just how it is, you yeah. know? And it's fear with a lot of that stuff. Representation matters so much, but you have to go beyond the ad. You have to actually, if you can't, how do I say this? You can't write it if you don't experience it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you have, when you have diversity and experience, you're going to have diversity in your readers and you're going to have more money. Quote me on that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, it, it makes no sense. 
how diversity, lily white it is. Diversity is really just it. And, and it really just starts from like having executives and people that work in these offices all the way down. I'm like the deck pusher, right? Mm -hmm. Nomadness has always got some harebrained scheme, whether it was, you know, our <laughs> RV tour in 2013 across the country for a month. And, you know, our NMDN alternative travel conference, you know, coming again to New York on September 24th. It's like, so for instance, you know, for years I was trying to, you know, I love this company's mission and like literally their start. And it's like Airbnb was just like it for me when they came out. And even on our nomadness trips, we would stay more often at Airbnb places that fit like 20 people, you know, staying at mansions or lofts or, you mm -hmm. know, flats around the world over hotels just because we have a familial vibe. So we can rent out a place that we take over. And it's like, if you want to be up chatting with everybody in the kitchen, cooking at two o'clock in the morning, when the real bonding happens on our experiences, you can do that, you know? And so that was something that was awesome. And I think with the diversity issue kind of coming to the forefront, especially with a lot of the stuff that they're dealing with specifically, like Airbnb yeah. came on in a major way and they're like the major presenting sponsor of our conference next month. Let's, you know, can so we, it's can interesting. Can we talk about that for a second? Because we want to talk about that and we're there. So let's, yeah. let's pause mm -hmm. on Airbnb for a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're saying you, your nomadness has, has done like big groups of people in Airbnb. They're running into all kinds of issues with, how they make their platform, I don't even know what the word is. I mean, how they can prevent racists from yeah, the know, host discrimination. Yeah, yeah exactly. How they manage discrimination on their platform. Yeah. So, I mean, is that? I don't know if you guys have had experiences, negative experiences with um, with Airbnb. There are alternative sites now, um, like Inclusive, Airbnb. What do you think is the best solution for dealing with those kind of online discrimination issues? Well, I can tell you, like, literally, it's funny when you knock on a door for so long and then you're just like, you know what? I'm a chill. And then and all then of a sudden they knock on your, knock on your door <laughs> yes. and it's like the top five execs are like at the door and you're like, we're okay. Like, okay now we, right, we right. want to play ball. <laughs> so it's like, Come on in now. And, and it was kind of a situation like that. And I don't think it's a negative thing. I'm like, I'm glad that we can finally have this conversation. And I was extremely honest with the five people that I think they had me on this, this conference call with. And what I will say for Airbnb is I do believe in my heart of hearts that they are taking it seriously. I think that there's, you know, the motivation and the timing may be a little askew, mm -hmm. but they're taking it very seriously. And I like the things that they are doing on the back end, which right. I don't rep them. So I'm not getting into it, but what I know of, I give them a lot of respect for the way that they're going about it. Again, I still have a lot of respect for this community. And there was an article that I think The Root did and they got a quote from me and I was like, listen, I said, I'm going to tell you honestly, I personally have never gone through anything that I saw as discrimination from a host on Airbnb. Now, I am a light-skinned, curly-haired girl, culturally ambiguous-looking right. Black American, so I may not be your best litmus test, like just keeping it real, you know? But... I have brought so many people of color and travelers of color to other places and they research us. Mm -hmm. They go through my, you know, profile and they'll, you know, all of a sudden a host will hit me back and be like, I was on your website this is amazing. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because the one time I did deal with anything racially behind the scenes on a nomadist experience, it wasn't booked through Airbnb. So, and I think that they're in a very professionally and, and I always look at everything from the business end and it's like, they're in a very awkward spot because it's not like Airbnb is racist. It's like you're populated through hosts. How the hell do you That's, like yeah. navigate that? And sometimes I need people who aren't business owners to take a beat and really look at it for what it actually is instead of like just 
painting this super broad negative stroke over a company that has allowed people to, you know, quit their jobs and travel Mm -hmm. around the world because of the money that they're making as a host. And so I think that there's room for the inclusives and the noir B&Bs. Actually, one of the founders of Inclusive is a Nomadness member. She actually pitched the idea before she came out to it to the group. And I told her, I said, this idea is so good. You need to take this out of my group (laughs) and get a lawyer. (laughs) And she deleted it, like literally. And it was like maybe a month later, all of a sudden, you know, the whole fiasco that came up Mm -hmm. over the name. But she literally put in Nomadness, like if you guys can name this, what could be? And she crowdsourced the name and somebody in Nomadness like helped her name the company. So it's like, it's crazy to kind of see the web that everything weaves and how it intertwines. Do I think there's room for competition? Yeah. Um, Do I think Airbnb in totality is a racist company? No. You know, I just think it's a very touchy situation. And some of these people that are coming up as competitors, I really hope they have their ducks in a row. Because it's easy to say things from the outside. But when you get on the inside and you start having stones thrown at you on some of the same things, you need to be prepared for that. Yeah, there's. it's interesting. Like, I'm a host and I've also been hosted. But it's kind of it's kind of effed up. <laughs> We're trying to make sure that this well, podcast yeah, well makes it's it kind out. of effed up how respectability politics come into Listen, play. Because again, mm-hmm. this isn't an Airbnb issue per se, like the company. Like I have friends at that company. It right. is not an Airbnb issue. It's more so you're dealing with, for lack of better words, an open source platform yep. for hosting people. What happens when you deal with people? You deal with all kinds of people. You deal with racist people. You deal with people who aren't necessarily racist, but have never had an interaction with someone from another culture before. And so that's not, if you think about it, even from the textbook definition, that's not racist per se, but that's just like, okay, if, do I want my first interaction with this person or this person coming from this place to be in an instance when I'm not home? Right. Or, you know, I have, you know, there's there's a lot happening and people, race is still very uncomfortable. Um, different cultures are still very, un- and lifestyles are still very uncomfortable for a lot of people. As, as much as we, we like to think that we're, pro- you know, a progressive and innovative nation, like we're still kind of hanging out in 1867 on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing that I found myself doing and I stopped doing it, and this is just me personally, because Parler lightly deals with Airbnb. Because we deal with and we tend to rally more around upmarket aspirational luxe experiences, we deal with more hotels mm-hmm. um, and villa operators and things of that nature. But I would find myself writing and like telling them about myself. And it was basically my LinkedIn profile. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, Howard University graduate, you know, creative director in New York. You know, here's, you know, the website, you know, to my I'm also a travel writer and blogger, you know, and that, I think that opened up a lot of doors for folks, you know, because they were like, we can't wait to see your review. And I'm like, oh, it's not being published right. anywhere, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> but even the fact that I had to do that. It was intrinsically baked in the way that we feel like yep. we have to represent ourselves or we have to overrepresent ourselves right. just to say, like, I'm not just a pretty face, you know, and just like Avita said, you know, and be, uh, racially ambiguously looking girl, I'm a very, very brown skinned girl at the same time. And so you're there's politics on that. Right. And so 
you know, you walk in and then when they meet you for the first time and they're like, oh, you work with brands like X and X. And I'm like, how come you just can't like me? Because I just want to like be <laughs> in Cincinnati. I'm, cool. I'm and still cool. I can like, you know, like have conversation and I can help you cook, girl, and something like that. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where, and you find this in a lot of different industries where we feel like we have to overrepresent ourselves mm. to kind of like police other people's feelings. Right. And after mm-hmm. a while, you do get tired of that. I've never experienced racism per se. Like, I I don't think I've ever... I had one funny instance, but it was more so this guy had a racist figurine in his house, but he didn't know it was racist. And I had to be like, hey, just to let you know, you won't get a lot of hosts if you keep this on, like, in your pictures. I need you to retake pictures of your kitchen. It's beautiful, but the Aunt Jemima jar, it got, it got, the blackface jar Uh, gotta go. Right. He's like, oh, I thought it was vintage. No. Um, (laughs) But like I said, but again, but but, but think about that interaction. Think about that interaction. It's a teachable moment, it would have never happened if he would have never had four very loud mouth, bratty, feminist black girls up in his house <laughs> that were like, oh, my God, I'm getting my life in this kitchen. Wait, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how do we craft this email in a way that's very nice so we don't get kicked out? Like, right. you know, it's funny now, but at the moment, you know, it's one of those things where you're constantly, not constantly, but it was like that little kick. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wait, I got right. I'm going to teach you how to teach you how to be a better host. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a very interesting idea to, because it's very easy to focus on, you know, what I think a lot of people call Airbnb's discrimination problem, because I think a lot of people are not talking about society's discrimination yeah. problem. They're like, we see it on Airbnb, so it's Airbnb's discrimination problem. Um, and to look at it as a series of teachable moments and to be exposing people, the hosts, to... And instead of the guest necessarily being the only one who's exposed to something new, right. the host is being exposed to something Absolutely. new and learning and evolving. Yeah. Um, I think that's very interesting. Um, I am maybe going to dampen things just a little bit more <laughs> with <laughs> with a, a, another current events question. Um, so we know that there's been a lot in the news about police brutality here in the States. Right against black Americans to the point where we're seeing numerous countries, including uh, United Arab Emirates, the Bahamas and Bahrain issuing travel warnings to their citizens coming here um, because of these violent events. Um, Do you see this type of situation affecting the travel habits of black Americans? It's so funny. We, last year's conference, our inaugural conference, we ran out of time, but literally last month, we added a keynote panel to our conference called Black Lives Matter Domestic and Abroad. Like, we have got to have this conversation mm-hmm. right now. And and it's like, we have people from the movement that are coming in, activists that we have both in No Madness and out of No Madness to come speak at the conference on this because it is so pertinent. I know, I have people in my group that are like, yo, you know, one of the questions that comes up and gets a million comments by the end of it is like, okay, so if we had to pack up and leave mm-hmm. the States, where are we going, y'all? Right. <laughs> like, where and can you, see, you go? Right. And we see so many people or, you know, there's, you know, I have members again that have children that it's just like, yo, I'm raising like a young black boy in America. Where can I travel to or potentially move to where I don't feel like I have to fear for his life every time that he wants to go outside and go play? These are the conversations that we're having in No Madness. 
So this conversation is happening. I think it needs to happen on a broader scale. And yet again, America needs to have a very honest discourse with itself about exactly what the hell is going on right now. And so for us on an international scale, like, you know, I just got my apartment, moved to Newark, New Jersey, but I have, I'm getting an apartment in Johannesburg before the end of the year. You know, and it's not because I feel like I necessarily need to do a mass exodus. It's going to be one of many places. But you're seeing a, a trend right now, too, of a lot of people going back to Africa and exploring the, the home continent, you know, to just see it there. I just can't explain it. The feeling to bring no madness members, 30 plus members to South Africa at this point twice now to get off the plane, to see people that look like you. And for the first thing for them to say to you is welcome home. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I went to Africa was with no madness and to just, just that feeling, you know, like I get emotional just thinking about it. Now there's just something all encompassing and something so beautiful about going to a place where your skin color is not a, a mark against you, but it's something that people revere. Like they want black money in Africa. Mm-hmm. They want us to come in and buy property because what's happening is the same thing that's gentrifying right here in, you know, Manhattan is also happening in some of the trendiest places in Johannesburg. Yep. You know, I'm getting an apartment right in the middle of Maboneng because I want to put that flag down, you know, whether it's for me personally or also for no madness. This whole thing is happening around the planet. This is not a major city America problem. And and it's like, we just gotta, we gotta face the music on this man. And, you know, it just goes into the politics. And then I look at our presidential, like, Mm -hmm. let me tell you something. (laughs) You go anywhere right now, especially as a traveler of color, people want to know about Obama. And they're just like, so is Trump real? Like, is this a caricature or is this like really happening? Have you got, how the hell have you guys allowed this to get to this point? And we, it's the same thing. I remember when I was graduated from my own in 2006, six weeks after I got my diploma, I moved to Paris with the New York Film Academy and I was out there shooting. And it was the first time that I ever threw myself into a community of people from all around the world, all artists. And this was right after Bush had gotten elected the second Mm -hmm. time. And I found myself in conversation after conversation defending New York and the fact that we voted Democratic and like completely kind of like letting go of the rest of the country. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it was just crazy to me that I felt like I had to separate myself in mm-hmm. different segments from my country. And then when I moved to Japan, it was right after Obama was inaugurated for his first term. So now I'm having a different type of conversation because <laughs> yeah. everybody loves us. <laughs> and it's like, it, it screws with your head, but it's so interesting because America needs to remember, yo, the world is watching. Whether it's Black Lives Matter, police brutality, Trump, like the world is watching and we look ridiculous and we look dangerous. Oh no, we look like a reality show. Yeah, and we should have those those messages coming out through the embassies. Hell yeah, they need to know what's going on here. They need to absolutely know. More countries need to come out with that because we need to get our mind right. But there's something with that that is interesting and I've always found to be interesting, especially as, you know, living, moving, working around the world. I'm very fortunate in the fact that I have the right to live in another, two other countries Mm -hmm. legally. But I don't take that for granted because once you do, you know, living in Spain, living in Cuba, you know, living in other places, it's one of those things. America is literally, in my opinion, like a golden handcuff situation. If you look at it through just one lens, because as much as, you know, this, everything that's happening, which is not new. It's new. It's more amplified because of social media and, you know, digital technology. But, you know, 
if you want to look at the reason why there are so many, there are so many expatriates that are more over 40, you know, when I think about, you know, friends of mine that were in the movement, older, you know, comrades and mentors of mine, you know, people were looking into other, especially with Pan-Africanism and the late 60s and early 70s, looking to other for generations. Right now, what's happening is that with social media, you just have more people talking to each other. It's very easy for me to initiate a conversation about moving to Johannesburg, moving to Paris than it was, you know, 30 years ago, 10 years ago to really, really think about it. But here's the thing that I like to stress to people. As many things that are happening here, you have to have a very, very clear view of where you want to go. Because I, to answer your question specifically, I think that it's really forcing people to look into other spaces, right? to live and to be and to escape. You know, if even if it's just like, I just need to get away from this for a minute. You have a lot of people, especially like my DMs have been filled, you know, in the past year or two, like, what do you just recommend for like mental escape yep. and just kind of like a self-care. quick break, self-care. Um, so beyond that, but if you really want to make that change, there are so many things that you are going to have to consider. And a lot of it is the cultural attitudes of what you look like, where you are going. Yep. And I learned that way the hard way. <laughs> I'm going to go to Spain. I'm going to be amazing. I'm in love. I'm doing all this stuff. Oh, wait, no, wait. I am not a prostitute. Right. I know. That's happened to, happens to a lot of women of color in But like Spain. they, I Absolutely. didn't realize that in my neighborhood um, outside of Chueca, that I didn't realize that the congreg like the stroll, for lack of better words, was literally like a block away from me. So I'm walking home, bigging up sisters like, hey, girl, you know, because, right. you know, I was raised to like say hi to black people. So like, <laughs> hey, hey. And they're like, oh, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, 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 OK. Are like, you know, Diana Droga is like, do you have any drugs? All the time. And you're like, after a while, you're like, OK, I can't live, create my life or do not hear or what not hear. I was very young. I didn't have children. I wasn't married. Right now, in the place where I am in my life, it would be completely different. However, there's always, and I, I get into these conversations, I don't know, madness sometimes, around being very clear about where you want to go and what your intentions are about talking and representing and dealing with your Blackness in yes. other places. Because as much as Bahrain may say, hey, guys, there's like protests happening, don't get caught up. Bahrain is not. I dated somebody. I dated somebody in Nomadness that lives in Bahrain, and I went out there, and just the women issues alone, I was like, I can't do it. it. (laughs) You're just like, whoa, 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 I gotta get out of here. Sometimes, you know, and so you take it not with a grain of salt. We live it, you know. We write about it. We we experience it through many different lenses. But if anything, you know, it's one of those other things that just teaches you how to go. It teaches you the value of travel more than anything because. You have to sometimes just turn other people off, let someone rub your feet, drink something with an umbrella in it. As as cheesy as you may think it is, if you just need to stare at the ocean for three hours, that is important to your health to be a better person when you come back and continue fighting. You have to. I literally just got back from Santorini, but I went for three days. That was it. I went for three days just so that I could. And I'm going to tell you right now, it was a dream trip that I had like just stalled on because I was like, it's so romantic. I need a boyfriend. And then I was like, you know what? The way my life is set up right now, let's just go. (laughs) We can always come back. (laughs) But I just found myself sitting on this balcony, just staring. Mm -hmm. And I've been to so many countries around the world, but just the aesthetics and wanting to go to a place where you sit down with a beer and you just look. 
Right. Just look, turn your brain off and just look. I'm a huge proponent of self-care. I talk openly on my social media platforms about going to therapy. I think everybody needs a therapist. I'm going to mine right after this. <laughs> you know, it's just like, cause y'all are not going to have me out here losing my mind in these streets. No, you do not want no. to see. I run too much and the work I do, the work that both of us do, it's mm-hmm. too important for the people that are at the top dealing with all of these facets that we're touching on, you know, even just in this interview, you know, for us to not be able to approach it as our best selves. Right. And travel is a huge component of that. I was a backpacker and took on the world by myself. The first group trip I ever took was facilitating it for no madness. And I was like, either this is going to be amazing or this is going to burn into hell. (laughs) And I don't know these people and they don't know each other. And I'm going to just have to ride this out no matter what. And it ended up being amazing. And in the pages of Ebony Magazine four months later. And that was like when no madness, I didn't even know what the hell this was. I didn't, you know, and so it's those experiences and saying yes and taking care of yourself and never losing sight um, of that, but also understanding you represent a bigger movement. I know when I walk into a room, you know, when I walk in here, it's not just me. You know, I have the the backs of, you know, there's 13,000 people that I represent when I walk into a conference room or I get on a conference call with a brand or I'm interviewing with you guys. Like I represent a tribe very Literally, I take that word seriously. And there's just something so amazing to that and the growth of the movement. And it's just, you can't forget it, but you have to be able to balance it, you know, with yourself. Totally. Evita, you mentioned um, taking a group to Africa. Have you seen over the past few years any increase in Black Americans traveling to get that sense of welcome home, mm-hmm. explore mm-hmm. explore roots, or or in the American South, if they're, you know, if they have heritage there. Africa, definitely. Africa, definitely. Like South Africa, we've done, okay, so the entire month of February, I was in Africa. We did, um, our first trip two years ago was um, Johannesburg and Cape Town. This year we did Johannesburg and Durban. And then right after that, I did another trip in Zanzibar. And so I'm finding specifically like South Africa, Kenya, there are more people going to Zanzibar mm-hmm. actually recently. A Ghana lot. is a huge one. Um, we even have conversations and actually I kind of started this trend in No Madness where we did the Ancestry DNA because people want to find out where they're from. And I hit all over the place, but like, you know, primarily like Benin and Togo was like my top. And it's like now a lot of that is happening in No Madness and people are starting to make trips to where they're finding out that they're actually from through their ancestry. Which That's is awesome, really, yeah. by the way. I did Ancestry DNA. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) And so it's like now, you know, we're giving away kits at the conference because it's just like it's just become something that is so intriguing and people want that sense of home wherever home is. And so I think for travelers of color, black travelers, like obviously we're all, you know, our bloodline is trickling to a lot of the similar places. And hell yeah, I think there's definitely there's definitely more of a pickup for Africa right now. And representing it more than safaris. Yeah, I was going to say, you there's know, definitely like, more of a pickup in Africa, but it's not safaris. No. And I mean, let, let, let's, let's be real. Like, I, I look at luxury every day. Safaris are amazingly expensive and kind of boring, but, you know, amazingly expensive at the same time. And yeah. they are, if you were to ask me, like, one of the worst culprits of, like, just not talking to people of color at yeah. all. Because that's just not historically where their money comes from. But you do, you are starting to see, you know, a resurgence resurgence of urban Africa, yes. you know, African cities, Accra, um, Nairobi, people, you know, actually picking up in the, on the, in the kind of luxury realm, actually like going into like Movenpick and other, 
other brands that are there that are offering a very upmarket experience that is propelled by people that look like you. That's very important, especially yeah. to my readers. Um, in addition to Africa, though, I think with Parlor, because we speak to African-American women, but I like to think that we just speak to black women because we speak to Afro-Caribbean women, Afro-Latino women as well. Um, you are starting to see more of an interest in addition to Africa. Central America. Yep. Um, Brazil has always been a big hotspot. Like I remember being young and like my mom going on the trip to Brazil. But, you know, you're starting to see different parts of Brazil beyond Salvador. You know, Salvador, yeah. you know, it is one of the blackest places in the world, but there's so many places just right around it. Um, and you're starting to actually see, if we look at, think about geography, everything's starting to go west now. So people are going over to Venezuela, Colombia, yeah. you know, Panama, Costa Rica, and actually realizing just how much basically following the route to be honest because yep. and then there's the caribbean and not done by sandals no offense to sandals right um but not done the sandals way there's a the caribbean done through a very african lens of you know my husband's from barbados it was so interesting you know spending so much time there with his family and then when you realize that barbados was the first stop for africans mm -hmm. Um, uh, it was, it was the, it is a birthplace, I believe of slavery in the Caribbean mm. and just how much, you know, when you go and drive around the Island and actually look at it through that lens, some people may think it's kind of morbid or something like that. I absolutely adored it because it was like, maybe someone that I'm related to touch ground here right. in some way before they went to Guadalupe or before they went to, you know, St. Nevis, Nevis or St. Kitts or anything like that. And so you're starting to see that because that's your immediate ancestry. Right. And then, you know, Africa, I'm not going to say that Africa isn't a consideration, but there is a bit more of a familiarity there. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's going, you know, straight to the source, you know, the source of the world, which is a continent, mm -hmm. are actually like moving around and kind of like moving through the diaspora. People are really, really being more poignant and um, purposeful on where they're taking a trip because they want that cultural experience that goes beyond like a conga line and like a rum shot out of, you know, right. you know, when you come in, but you're like, I want to see places that my people once yeah. were. In the American South, you have that. I've done in New Orleans, especially, I think I'm banned from like one plantation because the number one question, I was like, so <laughs> slaves, <laughs> where were they? I want to see that. And they're looking at me like, did you really come here? And you like, Oh well, yeah, I yes. did. You know, yeah. like I yeah. did. It's a part of experience. Yeah. I did. You know, dotting that whole line of because there's a there's a really interesting slave trail in Louisiana that actually follows a river. Um, Charleston, you're starting to see a lot of a resurgence of Charleston. Um, you're starting to see it in Memphis as well. Like there's whether it's the South Africa or the diaspora in the Caribbean as a whole. People are just very interested in reclaiming a bit of themselves mm -hmm. and whether they have, you know, the resources to make the jump over the ocean or just make the jump over the sea. They're doing it and they want it in a way to go back to something that Avita said that is very authentic, yeah. that is something that they feel like they're taking a bit of themselves back home with them. Mm -hmm. That is very yeah. important. Yeah, that is that is fascinating. Um I, I actually threw the American South bit into that question, um, largely because I'm wondering as, you know, Gen Y gets older and Gen Z gets older and mm -hmm. comes up, um, if people are feeling like, and it depends on what your personal family situation is, if you have to go back um, 
so many generations to get back to African roots. Are younger people feeling closer to the American South? So like my mother was born in the Mississippi Delta during segregation in 1939. The whole family moved up to Detroit. Um, you know, that um not saying I'm a member of Gen Z, but I am a member of Gen Y. Claim it. <laughs> Proud yes. Gen Y right here. Um, so it is um, just in a memory kind of way, it's easier for me to latch onto that, um, particularly when you do um, research on Ancestry.com or other sites like that. Um, it's very hard to find records of Black yeah, Americans right. before certain dates. There's just not good record keeping. Listen, I have, and it's more of a personal thing, but I do believe that the Great Migration is one of the most horribly told stories yes. in our country. Yes. Like, just because no one ever, there is documentation of it. This is the reason why, you know, even a lot of some of the um, government uh, departments exist right now, um, and just recording, you know, children of slaves and things of that nature. But if you think about it, it's a very oral story for a lot of us. There's only like certain, you know, pieces of text and imagery that you can really go to for that. But it's a very beautiful story once you actually like make the trek down, whether your roots are in South Carolina, are they in Louisiana, yeah. are they in Texas, and see like before we got to Chicago or Washington, D.C., or if your family never left Texas, okay, so wh where do you go beyond that? Right. Are you crossing an ocean at this point? Free idea here. Um, but actually, you know, taking people down those paths, you know, I'm a big believer in reconnecting immediately and then beyond. Right. And so like my mother's from South Carolina, coastal South Carolina, that in itself is a completely different culture that is never really, really told in the lexicon of what you think of the American South is, right? Because it's very Caribbean. It's very Jewish. A lot of people don't know that. Like it's, it's extremely interesting to see about why you talk the certain way that you do or why you have a tick or, you know, why you pronounce, you know, certain words or why you like certain things. But a lot of that has to do with, I think, one of the reasons why we haven't, especially African-Americans or Black people as a whole, haven't touched that is that one of the beautiful side effects of what we, people, what we call the Black travel movement is this, in my opinion, like we glorify kind of like going out, right? And I'm a big, and this, I got grounded, you know, because when you get married, you're broke. Um, <laughs> But I'm also a big believer in what's the discovery in the city next to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like as much as, you know, and it's kind of like the downside of travel where, you know, you travel one place and you're like, well, I've been to this place. And it's like, that's great. I got my life in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. You right. know, I had an amazing time in St. Louis and then I saw all this history, you know, as much as we tend to glorify kind of, you know, making the jump. And I'm a big believer in that as well. Like don't discredit the history about yourself are the piece of yourself that you will find literally in like South Jersey. But we need you know? to though, also in our community, we need to cultivate right. and preserve our history. And there's right. just a lot of, whether it's a lack of interest, a lack of record, there's levels to that component. I'm lucky because my father is actually like the family historian. And, you know, paternally, like my mom's side of the family is like white, Western European, you know, my grandmother's white. And, you mm -hmm. know, I know that's where stuff gets like really like, combobulated on my side. 
And it's like my paternal family, you know, there's French there, there's Indian there, but they all came from like Camden, South Carolina. And so literally the house that my aunt now lives in, that was my grandfather's. It is one street that they actually call Robinson Lane because half, like I'm related to like everybody on there. But there was an old church that I remember when I was younger. That church has since been burnt down. It's gone, but there's the cemetery that used to terrify me as a child. Mm -hmm. I go back and literally from the back of that cemetery, almost every other gravestone is either Robinson or Brevard, which is my grandmother's last name. Mm -hmm. We can trek our ancestors in this one cemetery back to the late 1800s. Like it's eerie when I go down South sometimes to know that this is my history and not even so far gone. It's crazy, but most families... We don't have that. I think but the fact that you just said it's eerie, I think that there's a nugget in there mm. that, you know, it, mm. it's the reason why some people get so uncomfortable. Like, why, you know, why do we, do we have to have another slave rebellion film or do we have to have right. another, you know what I mean? Where sometimes you don't really want to deal with something that you think that you think that you've gone beyond, mm. you know what I mean? And so this is a whole nother conversation, but as much as, again, like as much as we are climbing and we are boating and we are yachting and we are planing to all of these amazing places, especially here in the United, I mean, and here in the United States, rather, I would love to see the same amount of um, energy and enthusiasm around not just the American South. It could be, you know, the Pacific Northwest where you didn't even realize that your parents, which is also a very huge slave route as well, um, but, you know, it could be anywhere that's here because there's so much history here that if we continue to overlook it, you know, it dies. Right. And we can't right. reclaim it. And so, you know, go to Africa and then like go to Arkansas. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got to talk about money before we go. Um, beyond, there's an argument that it's better for the world for travel companies to be inclusive and diverse. But there's also the business case that y- if you're not reaching out to diverse groups, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Um, Mandala Research, which we mentioned before, uh, they have a figure that black travelers, African-American travelers spend about $50 billion a year around the globe. What's what's the, I think it's obvious, what the economic case is for diversity in travel, but I mean, what are people leaving on the table by not money. reaching out <laughs> to these groups? Money, I mean, money, influence, and- authenticity, like, you know, get with influencers like ourselves, right. you know what I'm saying? And allow us, don't try to tell our story for us. Don't try to put a deck together or, you know, an advertising promo that you think is going to resonate with us. Come to us and let us own our own narrative. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And let us bring it out to our people because one thing that a No Madness Travel Tribe member is not is stupid. Point Period. blank. Point blank. <laughs> yeah. Point, no, I mean, you have to, there's two things to that. One, know who it is that you're talking to beyond, you know, how intelligent that you may think that we are or not. But when people actually bother, again, to look at the stats beyond who they're talking to, okay, you're going to go with that $50 million number. Now, compared to other niche groups, compared to, say, LGBT or, you know, other groups, we're still like at the median low. But then also look at all of our ancillary spends that we do, which completely kill everything else, everything that comes along with that travel spend. Look at the fact that we are, again, one of the most loyal groups, African-Americans as a whole, word of mouth is everything. And then admit the fact that we've been influencing this world forever. Mm. And so, you know, when it gets out that, you know, X city, 
X property, X vendor, X operator is the absolute best place to have a good time because these really, really cool black girls showed up there. I guarantee you that because I see it happen and I've seen it happen in the industry that I work with for like the past 11 years, it will be the hottest thing in a year and a half. I mean, quote me on it just because I just it like it continuously happens over and over and over again. And then again, to piggyback off of what Avita said, you know, don't try to tell the story that you want to have. If you're if you're concerned as a business about how to reach, you want to tap into this dollar. One, you don't have to go super celebrity because we can see through all of that and just say like, well, this person yeah. was there. And he's like, well, I don't care. Like, I don't care if they were there. I want to talk to someone who not only looks like me, because you have to go beyond that. If you live in a life that I'm living, you know, parlor outside of myself and Hillary, my partner, we're connected with over 30 lifestyle influencers that we have great relationships with, that we execute many campaigns with all the time. And they're very organic and they're very authentic because we write a clause in. If they don't like it, they're going to tell you why they don't like yeah. it and how you can improve it. And we've had nothing but positive gains from that, you know, repeat repeat business from whether it be board to tourism or hotel groups or uh, travel agents or whatnot. And the constant feedback that we get on the business side of us is thank you for helping us tell that story because we couldn't figure it out. We didn't know whether we should get, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, like the ball player and then, you know, the R&B singer to like, like just do an Instagram post and it's like, okay, you're going to pay like X amount of thousands for that. And then for a third of that price, we can execute an experience for you that can actually get you the bookings that you need. These companies need to humble themselves in understanding that they don't currently have all the answers. Right. And they need to do that and then look out and seek out those answers from people that can provide them like amazing insight on it. And I think that there's, I think on a business level with some of these big brands, like I do think that ego plays a big part into it. I feel like they, don't, have the, they don't feel like they have to learn. Right. Yeah. And they're sadly mistaken because <laughs> we're not going anywhere. Right, right, <laughs> like, like, and that's the thing just as a marketer that kills me because it's like you can take travel out and put any other vertical in the place of travel and see how when you became more diverse in your messaging and more authentic, your business grew like crazy. Like you literally can like take travel and then put beauty and personal care, automotive, technology. You can literally like yep. just like replace the word and see the numbers shoot high. But then when we talk about travel slumps and, you know, depending on shoulder season and stuff like that to actually get bookings and then you're wondering why you can't fill rooms and you're like, Marketing one on one, like I will travel the world and teach you if you want. Like if you talk, they will come, but you have to do it through a voice that looks like them. I think a lot of it just has to do with travel as a whole has always been seen as affluent. the idea is travel, affluent, luxury, and not meant to do things like everyone else. But it's like, okay, so would you rather have two more properties close, right? Or would you rather just get with the program and actually have four more properties open over the next 10 years because you actually started to tell the story in the way that it should be told, not the way it's been told since 1938. I just made that year up, by the way. Not in any way. A landmark year in story. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours, but... Um, we totally could. Yeah. This was, <laughs> this was a, a really great conversation. Good. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for having us. Yes. Yes.